Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. Excited to see you this morning. Um, like they said, Christmas is in a couple days. Now, for us, we're doing Christmas tomorrow. I don't know if you guys do that. You have friends coming and family coming in, so you change it up. We change it up. You're allowed to do that. Uh, but we, we made a mistake years ago when we had kids. We had two of them in December, which means December for us is a little bit crazy. And last night, we had a birthday party, and there were nine girls between 11 and 13 running around, and uh, I wanted to escape. Um, maybe you've been there, one of those, you just want to go somewhere else, hide under a bush, anything. Um, sometimes there's th those times when we want to escape, but what about just kind of in general in life? Now, a little bit deeper, do you ever feel that need to escape? You know, life is hard. Uh, maybe it's financial things, and you want to just forget about it for a little while. Maybe it's relational stuff. Maybe it's just wrapping presents and Christmas. You just want to escape and get away. I remember being a kid, um, and memories are weird things. I don't remember if I did this a lot or just one time and remember it very clearly. But I remember getting under a Christmas tree, kind of laying on my back and sliding underneath and just looking up at all the lights with some presents around. And so sound was muffled, and I, was just, at, I just wanted to stay there. Because it was my own little place to escape, to be at peace. I couldn't hear anybody. Uh, what about you? Are there things you, you want to escape from? Now, we live in a world that gives us lots of ways to escape. You know, around here, alcohol is a big deal. We can escape into a bottle. Uh, marijuana is now legal. You can escape into drugs. We can escape into a Netflix series. There's a, I, really, I mean, there's a lot of ways that we can escape. But today, here's, here's my question as we're moving toward Christmas. What about escaping to God? Now, that sounds bad when I say escape as if we want to get away, but, but really what I'm finding is, what I'm saying is find refuge, escaping into specifically the love of God. I mean, we're thinking about Christmas, the story of Christmas, and Christmas really is the story of God's love, that he would send his son to die for us, to be born a baby, to grow, to die for his, a story of his love for us and so as we understand his love, we get a better view of who God is. Who is God in your mind? You know, it was A.W. Tozer who wrote, whatever comes to mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. So when you think about God, what comes to mind? Is it, is it some cosmic being out there that maybe created us and just let us go? Or is it, is it an angry God? You know, kind of like a kid with uh, ants and a magnifying glass just wanting to fry him? Or maybe for you, it's like, I just, I don't know. I don't know that God exists. You know, this Christmas thing, we sing about it because it's tradition, but, but I don't know. Who is God to you? We're going to look at this Christmas story, the best Christmas passage in all of Scripture in Philippians. So turn to Philippians, if you would. Um, if you don't know where Philippians is, it's about here. So if you need a Bible, grab one in the seat in front of you. Uh, look in the table of contents to find Philippians. It's not a big book, kind of hard to find. But we're going to look at the Christmas message. And as we prepare this series and, and, and today and, and Christmas Eve in two days, the message really God has given me that I feel to pass on through Scripture. This isn't like he spoke to me audibly. But what he said is this. I love you. I have been waiting for you. I forgive you. Find joy and rest in my love for you. Is that something you need to hear from God today? I love you. Just the way you are, I love you. I read a story of an 11-year-old autistic boy in Australia. Their family went camping. 
Uh, and while they were camping, this 11-year-old wandered off. And so they were searching for him. They couldn't find him. And of course, maybe you've experienced that before where a kid goes missing even for a, a couple minutes. But you begin to panic. As time goes on, you panic more and more and more. Well, they, they were searching and they couldn't find this boy. Now, when you think of Australia, I think of you know, crocodiles and hyenas and, you know, I don't know exactly what it was like, but it was in kind of the wilderness in Australia, and this, this autistic boy was lost. And, and imagine being those parents. You feel helpless and, and hopeless, knowing your son is out there helpless and hopeless. And they began their search, and for four days they searched for this boy. You know, and the mom shared the stories of how every hour that went by, her hope went down, and how the dad never gave up. How he, I mean, I don't think I would have slept for those four days. But he would go with the crew searching over here and searching over here. And finally, they, they found him, and he was okay. You know, he, he didn't die of hunger or exposure. I mean, all the things that could have got him didn't get him. But I want you to think about the father and the mother with that child missing. What did they do? <laughs> they did everything they could to seek out to find him and then to bring him in. And do you think once they got him back, they might have been a little bit protective for a while? I know some of you moms are protective anyway. But imagine that situation and dad. That's kind of the story of God's love, God's love for us, and that we, we're like that boy, that we wandered away. You know, the, the Bible is really just a story of God's love for us. We see in the beginning in Genesis how God created everything, and he created it good. At the end, he said, this is very good, and he put the man and the woman in a garden, and in this garden, he walked with them. We, we see this picture. Can you imagine that? The joy of knowing God that close and intimate and walking, and the Bible says they were naked, and not ashamed. Now, yes, physically naked, but even more, they were fully known and not ashamed. Just imagine that, walking with God. But then at, at one point, they decided they were, were going to sin. God gave them one command, don't eat of the tree. They ate of the tree, and right then the relationship with God was broken. What they said in their pride was, we want to go our way, and we reject you. I mean, imagine the God of the universe who made us to love him, and we rejected him. And the Bible says all have sinned. So all of us at some point, probably many points, have rejected God. And so the story of God's love is that he saw us in our brokenness and he said, that's not good enough. Jesus' invitation, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So today, our message is very simple and we're going to look here in Philippians. But it's that God loves you. That God has been seeking you out. God has been waiting for you. That it's no accident that you're here this morning. It's no accident that you get to hear this message today. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, this is probably the most famous verse in, in all of Scripture. Maybe you're, this is your first time in church, first time opening a Bible, but you've probably heard this verse. And it's a beautiful verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You know, what, what do you think God wants of you to be right with him? A lot of times we make the mistake that it's about our dues, you know, that he's keeping a list of our goods and our bads. But here, this is the message. God loved the world. Now, when you read this, do you think God loved the world as in everybody else, just not me? You know, that, that maybe this doesn't include you. The world, do, it does include everybody. But how about this? For God so, put your name there. For God so loved Derek that he gave his only son. For God so loved you 
that he gave his only son. That word love is agape. Agape is the Greek word meaning unconditional one-sided love. We say it this way, that love is doing what's best for the other person when they least deserve it at great personal cost. God loved us when we didn't deserve it, while we were apart from him. So look at Philippians 2, please. And here we're going to see the story of God's love. Now here Paul is writing to this church, and he's telling them basically they were having some conflict in the church. And he's saying, get over yourselves, humble yourselves, and in fact, humble yourself like Jesus did, and in that, he shares the picture of Jesus, of God becoming flesh. Uh, it could be called theologically the kenosis. John th- or, uh, Philippians 2, I'm going to read 5 through 11. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have you ever thought of this as a Christmas passage? That's what this is. This is all about the incarnation. What does it tell us about Jesus? Verse 6 says, Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God. That word form is is the word morph. You know, we, we use that word every now and then. But what it means is exact representation. Form, it's something exactly like something else, but but not a copy. It's the exact same thing. So it says here that Jesus was in the form, the exact form of God. Can something be exactly like God and not be God? That's what he's trying to tell us, that Jesus was in the form of God. Jesus was God. Jesus said it elsewhere. He says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. One of his disciples said to him, he didn't quite get it yet. Jesus, show us the Father and that'll be enough. And Jesus said, I've been with you three years now. And you don't recognize me if you've seen me. You've seen the Father. Elsewhere, Jesus said, I am God. As simple as that, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Before Abraham was, which was hundreds of years before this, I am. And he gave himself the name of the eternal God, Yahweh. Before Abraham was God, I am. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The message of Christmas is that Jesus is God in flesh. This is one of those things that the church has been firm on from the very beginning. And, and some heresies moved into the church trying to claim that, you know, Jesus was a good man. Uh, Jesus, you know, was given the Holy Spirit, but he wasn't actually God. But we must understand that Jesus was God in flesh. Again, we call that the incarnation. Jesus was God in all ways. Now, this is what sets true biblical Christianity apart from every other religion. Now, not only is it true, but it is different. Every religion tells you what to do to get to God. Every religion has sent prophets, uh, has sent messengers, whatever it is. But this is the only religion, the only truth where God came to us. God came down the mountain to meet us because we couldn't go up the mountain. More on that Christmas Eve in two days. But God came to us. Have you thought about that? 
Have you thought about how far God has gone to love you, to love me? I read a story. Uh, it was in the late 1800s. There was a, a banker, an American banker named Henry Seligman. Uh, he was of Jewish an ancestry, and, and he built this bank with his family. Uh, and as the bank grew, it, you know, success. They moved basically through the ranks of society to where they got to the top, where they felt was the top. Now, their counterpart in Germany, also of German ancestry, I think there were distant relations, uh, maybe you've heard this name, the von Rothschilds, if I'm saying that right. So the, the Baron von Rothschild in Germany had his bank there, uh, and he was, they were basically the top. And here, the Henry in, in the United States had his. Well, they started doing business together, and some argued that they had cornered the market. They had a monopoly on the banking there in Germany. Well, he went, Henry went to, to Germany at one point, and they went to this ceremony, you know, a big party. And here was Henry at this party, and the agent that had been going between him and the Rothschilds came and said, hey, the Baron von Rothschild, there he is across the room. He's like, would you like to meet him? He said, heck yeah, go get him, bring him over. So this agent then went over to the Baron, and he said, hey, Henry Seligman, he's right over there. I know you've been doing business. Do you want to meet him? He said, I'd love to meet him. Bring him over. And through the whole night, they never met. Because the, the way it was understood is if one of them were to cross the room to go to the other, they would be placing themselves under the other. The other one was more important, so they went to them. Neither was willing to set aside their own glory and, and stature to come to the other. Well, that's just our human pride, our, our human desire. And here, let's look at God. What did God do? You know, God didn't just cross a room. God, he crossed creation. He crossed reality. I don't think we can even grasp what he did. He went from being God to becoming man. The distance that he went to, to love you. Now, he goes on here. He says that in verse uh, 7, or verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, exactly like God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. That word grasp is an interesting word. It means to seize or to take by force, actually. Uh, so your King James, if you read that, says to count it robbery. So this is a picture that Jesus, although he was exactly like God, he was God, and he deserved all the glory befitting God, his throne, worship, honor. He didn't consider that something to be held on to. He didn't hold tight. He let it go. When it came between his glory and your salvation, he chose your salvation. He let that go for a little while. So he didn't consider it something to be grasped, seized. But, verse 7, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. He emptied himself of not his divinity, but of his rights to all that belongs to God. So here's the, the difficult thing to understand. Jesus, when God became flesh, he never ceased being God in any way but yet he became fully man. That's what this verse says, that he was found in the likeness of man. So he was exactly like man. So 100% God and 100% man. Add that together, what's it add? 100%. <laughs> That's one of those things we have trouble grasping, but it had to be that way. I mean, we can even start thinking about it logically. Our sin created an eternal debt we couldn't pay. Only God could pay that eternal debt. But how could God pay a debt that scripture says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Our debt was eternal, and the only way to pay for it was blood, innocent blood. Well, no man could pay that unless God 
became man. And so that's what the scripture teaches. That's why we celebrate Christmas, where God took on flesh so he could raise, you know, be raised, grow up, die on the cross, and then be raised from the dead for our forgiveness. Now, as we're talking about God's love, we might start looking around and looking at, you know, they're worthy of God's love or they're worthy of God's love. The truth is that it was before any of us even considered looking to God that he died for us. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, do you make the mistake at times thinking you need to get your act together and then you can come to God? Maybe just coming to church today, you felt a little dirty. You felt like, I'm not good enough to go to church. If these people only knew my sin, they wouldn't let me in. Well, that's probably true. <laughs> right? But if you only knew my sin, you wouldn't come. We, in our filthiness, all, I mean, from, from beginning to now, we've wrestled with sin. But God, He doesn't wait for us to get good, to get cleaned up. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's message is, I love you so much. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to give my life for you. And then I'll help you get cleaned up. It's then a process where he helps us deal with sin. But it's not like he's up there, you know, making this check mark of our sin against us. He loves us so much that he came. For God so loved you that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And, and there's, the, there's the hitch. You know, as we read John 3.16, we think, oh, he loved the world. So that means everybody will be saved. Well, the truth is we must accept that free gift. We must accept the gift of his love. You know, Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, he wrote in his book, 1 Peter, he says, God is patient toward you, meaning he hasn't returned yet. Jesus is coming back. He says he's patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So God has a love for all, desires all to come. But we must make the response. We must repent, turn to him, and accept this free gift that he's provided for us. God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the story of Christmas, of God's love. Again, think about that. This may sound simple. Maybe you've been in church a long time. You're like, I've heard this forever. But do you ever just rest in his love? Do you find joy in his love? Life happens. Relationships happen. Financial problems happen. But we can rest. We can escape to the one place we're supposed to escape. Do you know you were made with, I could say, a God-sized hole in your heart? That you will never be fulfilled until it's Jesus that fulfills it. And then after we become Christians, after we choose to follow Jesus, we can be tempted to go to these other things, to escape into other things, to find fulfillment in other things. And Jesus says, no, I'm enough. Come to me. I love you. Jesus says, I lived the life you could not live, and I died the death that you deserved, so that you could live the life I deserve eternally with God. Now, if you look on at these verses, verse 8 says, In being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The story doesn't end with Jesus' death. 
Jesus rose from the dead three days later. That's what we celebrate at Easter. We celebrate him rising from the dead, which was God saying, your sacrifice is acceptable. I love you. Again, put your name in there. Jesus died and rose from the dead, and he's coming back. Now, here's the message that I have for you. Here, here's what stuck out to me. If, if God would do all of that, you think, he's not, or you think he's ignorant about your situation now? If God would take on flesh to cross the universe to come to become a baby, to grow and then die for you, rise from the dead. Do you think he's looking at you now going, man, go figure it out. You know, I did all this, but now the rest is up to them. No, Jesus, right at the end, at the end of Matthew, he says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What is it that's going on in your life right now? Guess what? The God who sent his son to die for you knows, and he loves you. He loves you. And he likes you, too. I mean, that's one of those concepts, you know, maybe you've had siblings and you're like, I love them, I just don't like them. <laughs> Here, here's the weird thing about God. He actually likes you. He adore, this is what stuck out when I was driving up this morning and I was praying over this. I, I actually kind of asked God, like, why do you adore us? What is it about us that you love so much? And I don't know the answer. It's because he chose to. And so are we resting, are we finding joy in his love for us. We're going to transition. We're going to sing some more. But we've been reading through the book of Luke in December. Uh, the book of Luke has 24 chapters, and so we'll read the very last chapter if you're doing it at home on Christmas Eve. But today we're in Luke chapter 22. And I thought this is a really good chapter to finish up what we're looking at in God's love, because in Luke 22, we're going to see Jesus at his last supper. We're going to see Jesus be betrayed by one of his best friends. We're going to see Jesus be denied by his other best friend. We're going to see what Jesus went through to love us. And so as, as Hannah comes up to read this, I would ask you just to think about it. If it's easier for you to follow it along, look it up, Luke 22. Uh, but, but listen to this. Think about what Jesus did for us. This is the culmination of him being born, his, him living his perfect life, and then he went through this to prove his love for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you that it's not up to us. God, we, we're, we're not used to an unconditional love. We always have to earn those things that we get. But God, you loved us so much. You looked at us, and by name, you knew us before we were ever born, and you knew you were going to choose us to be part of your family if we would say yes to you. And I thank you, Jesus, for becoming a baby. I thank you for the Christmas message. I thank you for living the perfect life and dying, suffering in a way we can't even imagine in order to buy us back to you. Thank you. I, I pray this morning, God, that th if there's anybody in here that doesn't know your love, that hasn't said yes to you and experienced the joy that comes from security in you, that today would be the day. God, today would be the day that, that after these words are read, when we're singing, they would go back to the back and they would pray with somebody and say yes to you. Or the rest of us, if we're struggling with our joy because of life happening, that we would escape to your love, that we would feel you wrap your arms around us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 22. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which drew near, was called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered to Judas, called Iscariot, who was the number of the twelve. 
He went to the, and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray them to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him in the absence of a crowd. The day came of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for, for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will, we, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow, it, follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, he, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I will not eat until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you, I that I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body for which I have given you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after the cup, they had eaten, and likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out to you is my new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me at this table, for the Son of Man, as it has been determined. But woe is to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be and who was going to do this. A dispute also rose among them as to which of them would be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The king of the Gentiles exercised lordship over them. And those in authority are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you have the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I among you as the one who serves? You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom that you, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan be demands to have you that he might shift you like wheat, but I've prayed for your, for your faith that you may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers." Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus said, Peter, I, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you've denied me that deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said nothing. He said to them, but now I let... But now let the one who has the money bag take it, and likewise the knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak to buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, that, that and he was numbered with my transgressors, for it is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Look, Lord, here are two stones. And he said to them, It is enough. And he came out and went, as his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. 
And he and when he came to the place, he said, "Pray that you may not enter into temptation." And he withdrew with from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, "Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done." And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And the sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter in temptation. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd. And the man called Judas, Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to kiss Jesus, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. But Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, have you come out against as a robber with the sword and clubs. When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay your hands on me. But this is your your hour of the but this is your hour and the power of darkness. And they seized him, leading him away, bringing him to the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when he and when they had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of an hour, about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was with him, for you too are a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed, and the Lord looked and turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept saying, "Prophesy who it is that struck you." And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When the day came of the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, they they led him away to the council and said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe, and if you ask, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man sh- shall be seated at the right hand of the, fo- of the power of God. So they said to him, Are you the Son of God then? And he said, You say that I am. Then they, tur- then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it, from our, our, we have heard it ourselves from, our own li- from his own lips. we see in that passage the betrayal of Jesus, the preparation for the